Hello, boys and girls. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Honker Podcast. Brought to you by... Stanford Hunting Outfitters. Home of the Big Honker Lodge and the Big Honker Podcast right here in Knox City, Texas. 940-658-3172. I've got some weekdays left in December. And I've got one weekend before Christmas available. And that's the only weekend I've got available until late January. Now, when you say you have a weekend available, there's already people here. Yes, I have. Can I can rook one more group in on the weekend. Thanksgiving weekend, that's it. I think it's at Christmas. I mean, it's Christmas weekend. Jesus. No, 19th and 20th of December, I believe, is the Ooh, day. That and, could be good days. We get a little bit of weather and, up north. And I have availability still December 21st and 22nd. That's usually a really good time to hunt the week before Christmas. And it's crazy because we'll get people that will call two days before then and say, do you have anything during Christmas break? <laughs> and usually by then everything's gone. We do have some openings this year. The corona has changed some of our bookings. We've lost some regular clients due to a lot of cor- – we do a lot of corporate business, and a lot of those people did not commit, and a lot of them had their budgets taken away. So we have some openings that we usually don't have uh, on weekdays. So in December or in the middle of the week, I've got some days left in Oklahoma and Texas. So call 940-658-3172 before these dates are gone. Yep, all in November sold out now. This podcast is also brought to you by Gun Dog Outdoors. Take care of your four-legged hunting partner. They've got a promo code, Big Honker. That is good site-wide. Use the promo code. That will save you some money at checkout. And they've got a second promo code. For the field trauma kit, 20% off. It is Trump 2020. You go to Gun Dog Outdoors. You go to their website. You get the field trauma kit. You can save yourself twenty percent off of it. It's not. It's not exclusive to dogs. There's plenty of things in there: gauze, band aids, you know, cold pack, hot pack. Everywhere I go, it goes with me in my truck. So, it's not just for. It's not just for Fido. Go grab one of these things. Take care of yourself. Uh, stay safe out there, and that's what they're trying to do over there at Gun Dog Outdoors: is keep you and your hunting partner safe. During hunting season. We appreciate them. We're also brought to you by Foul Bandits. Swag for the field. Look no further than Foul Bandits. You can go to their Instagram page, see what they got. They've also got a website, foulbandits.com. All the swag that you're going to need. Look up Mr. Sean Gilkey, Foul Bandits. They got got hoodies, shirts. They can do uh, truck and trailer decals, whatever you want over there. Foul Bandits. I like their stuff. They've got a cool-looking logo. Foul Bandits. Dot com. We're also brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries, the leader in silhouette manufacturing. Go skinny in 2020 and beyond. Pack them up nice and neat in those bags. No more cluttered trailers. That should be your rally cry for the year. Keep everything organized. Uh, they're in the floater floater game now. Good looking floaters out there. Dry bags coming out too. Yeah, they're just they're all over the place. They got stuff for. Stuff for everything, but the tried-and-true Goose Silhouette decoy is by far my favorite. They've got a silhouette for everything. Geese, ducks. Cranes. Cranes. Canada, Specs, Snows. Everything. And everything fits nice and neatly into the bags. Put five dozen per bag. Keep your trailer nice and organized all hunting season long, no matter how crazy it is. You can find them at divebombindustries.com, or you can go check them out on Instagram. Divebombindustries on Instagram. Follow along, go skinny. It's the way to go. We are also brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. BossShotShells.com, Boss Shot Shells on Instagram, Bismuth. It hits like a freight train, copper plated, all made in America. People over there at Boss are salt of the earth good. Yep, Brandon and Meg take care of you. Only takes one. Lee's the, by far the best marketing man in the business. Oh, I love, I love watching, reading his captions on Instagram. 
highlight of my day whenever he posts. Um, ship straight to your door. No middleman. You're getting an upfront price. And word on the street is shotgun shells might be hard to find from other people. So boss might be your only way to go. So you better get your order in soon because I know they're getting very, very busy with the season coming up. So head on over to BossShotShells.com. Get what you're going to need for the season. You don't even have to leave your underwear. Go to their website, order it, ship straight to your door. BossShotShells.com. And we are also brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. If it's not the duck, then your coffee sucks. That's right. Dirty Duck Coffee. They've also got a promo code TRUMP2020. We'll save you some moolah at the checkout. DirtyDuckCoffee.com. It's what we use every morning out here. Picks me up. Keeps me regular, which is important as I'm getting older. Got to stay regular. Got to wake up, too. When when you're doing this seven days a week, you're going to want some Dirty Duck Coffee. So... Head on over Dirty Duck Coffee and uh, follow them on Instagram also, Dirty Duck Coffee. Use the promo code also, Trump2020. Save yourself a little bit of little bit of cheddar. We're also brought to you by Pacific Calls. Mr. Trevor Austin up there in the great Pacific Northwest, retooling all of his goose and duck calls. Uh, word on the street is October 1st they're going to have some new shit out, so be looking for that. Uh, PacificCustomCalls.com if you want to order from them or you can follow along on Instagram everything that they got going on. Uh, very, very good uh, very, very good goose and duck call. Whatever you want. If you're hunting big geese, they got a call for you. If you're hunting little geese like I am, they got something for me and specs and ducks. And like I said, they're retooling all the guts. So be looking for that on October 1st. PacificCustomCalls.com Also, we're brought to you by Lucky Duck. The 2 by 4 blind, the way to go. The best in the business. Spacious. Sit with your friends. You don't have to lay on your back. You can visit. You can enjoy it. You can talk to your grandkids, your kids. I'm telling you, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, what the hell can I do to make my waterfowl hunting more comfortable, get a Lucky Duck blind. The 2 by 4 blind, you can put a heater buddy in there. You can stay comfortable. Like Jeff said, you can enjoy the social aspect of waterfowl hunting. Let's face it. That's why we're doing this. To be with our buddies, talk with our buddies, bullshit with our buddies. It's not like big game hunting. Get the two-by-four blind. Keep it social. Keep it social. And then if nothing else, go get uh, go get some of their spinners because they're the best in the business. All remotes, turn them on, turn them off, whatever you need, whenever you need it. LuckyDuck.com. Also, we're brought to you by the Looking Glass Duck Club. The Looking Glass Duck Club podcast. Wherever you're listening to this one, you can hear theirs. They do a bourbon review every week. He said we're going to do a bourbon review when they're down here hunting. He said you agreed to it. I agreed to do a podcast with them when they're down here. Ah, right. uh, that's not what he said. He said we better toughen up because there's they're 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 saving the best for when they're down here. So better toughen up there, Buttercup. We're going to do it later in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> we're not doing it at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a lot of fun to listen to. It's a man's man podcast. They talk about a lot of manly things. So wherever you're listening to this one, please go check them out at the Looking Glass Duck Club podcast. You will get a lot of laughs. Just don't have your children in the car. Don't have your children in the car, and uh, pray for my liver when they come down here. That's right. Also, we're brought to you by the motherfucking Ice Ripper at J Two Outdoors. Right now, you use the promo code Big Honker, you save yourself ten percent at checkout. That's site wide, no matter what you get, ten percent off. The Ice Ripper. If you're hunting up north, if you're hunting in the Northwest, Midwest, we, no, hell, we've even got one down here. There's no reason to not have an Ice Ripper. Keep your season going an extra two weeks. 
as long as you keep that ice open, you will have birds on your pond. Uh, now, once snow gets here, that's a little bit trickier. But you can you can keep your season going a little bit longer if you go over to J2 Outdoors LLC, get the ice ripper. They've got one with uh, with a motor on it. They've got it with a electricity. So kind of whatever you need, they can take care of you over at J2OutdoorsLLC.com. Also, we're brought to you by 14 Cattle Company. you got to meet the difference. Beautiful. We had a nice steak tartare not too long ago of a filet that we got from 14 Cattle Company. Delicious. Let me tell you, I met the difference, and it's good. Um, whole beef, half beef, quarter beef, whatever you need, they'll, they'll you just you, you go to 14 Cattle Company's website. They'll send you a kill list of what you want, and you fill that out, and then it comes prepackaged right to your door. Steaks are delicious. I uh, cannot speak highly enough of them. Mr. Jordan Isaac Smith, we had him on the podcast not too long ago. Good guy. Um, good, high-quality meat over there at 14 Cattle Company. Go check them out. They're great. Last but not least, we're brought to you by William & Chris Wines, Texas-made wine down there in High Texas. Whenever I'm having a nice steak from 14 Cattle Company, also have me a nice glass of red wine, Skeleton Key, from William and Chris Wines. They're great people down there. Chris Chris knows his shit. He's a lot of fun to talk to. Um, you can get them at uh, all the all the hoity-toity supermarkets, Whole Foods, Central Markets. Uh, you can find William and Chris Wines down there. I highly recommend the Skeleton Key. It's my personal favorite. So go check them out, williamandchriswines.com. This episode of the podcast, we're joined by Mauro Tomasetti. He's the gentleman that created Liv's Hunt for the Cure. His daughter, uh, Livy, was born with cystic fibrosis and um, started this back in the early 2000s and uh, ran through 2017 or 2018? 2017. They've donated over a quarter million dollars to the Lurie Hospital uh, that specializes in cystic fibrosis in little kids. So great, great cause that he's, uh, he's been fighting for and uh, interesting man. So here he is, Mauro Tomasetti. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. I'm Jeff Stanfield. I'm Andy Shaver. On the line with us today, we have Mr. Mori Tomasato or Tomasito. You have fucked Tomasato. up. Tomasato. There you go. Thank you. Tomasetti. I always fuck up the intro. And he's out of Round Lake, That's Illinois. Right. Just remember Tom Ass Petty. Tom Ass Petty. There you go. And uh, you go. he put on a hunt, uh, a charitable hunt called Live for the Cure. And it's for the Lurie Hospital in Chicago, and I raised over $250,000. How are you doing, Mr. Tomasetti? I'm doing well, Jeff and Andy. <laughs> so tell us about the, um, the, the Live for the Cure. Tell us how this all worked out. Well, back in 1999, my youngest daughter, Olivia Tomasetti, was born with cystic fibrosis, which is a genetic disease which affects every organ in your body, basically. And when she was born, it never shown itself on either side of the family. 
So we had no clue what we were dealing with. They were pretty sad days. She went into a four-hour surgery right after birth to uh, reconstruct her bowel because it had severed and gangrened and all kinds of wonderful things. Anyway, she made it through the surgery. We didn't know how long we were going to have her around, according to the doctors. So um, my wife and I decided that, you know, we had no control over the drugs being produced for this disease or anything. So we decided to start a family foundation called Live for a Cure. Of course, we took Libby's name and shortened it, and that's what we call her now anyway, Liv. And we decided to come up with different fundraising ideas. Well, I didn't have too many ideas, but I'm very passionate about waterfowling. That's probably why you have me on your show. So I I coupled the passion for my waterfowling with the love for my daughter, and we came up with Live Hunt for a Cure. Now, uh, back in 2000, I attended the Avery International down in southern Illinois, which was um, Avery put on a contest down there for goose collars. And in order to attract more people to get involved and so forth, they also did a hunt. So they went to all the local clubs there and asked them if they'd donate their clubs for the weekend. And people paid premium prices to hunt at these clubs with all kinds of world champions and world-renowned goose collars. And I was fortunate enough to draw Tim Grounds. And um, I get a little emotional when I talk about Timmy. So I show up on Saturday morning for the first day of the hunt, and um, the other four gentlemen who were supposed to be with us were not. They didn't show up. Mm-hmm. So I had it was myself, Tim, and in his big Cadillac pit or whatever he used to call it. I'm not really sure. So at that point, I pitched them, and I told them all about what I wanted to do, which was pretty much the same thing. And I was fortunate enough to know enough people up here in the Chicagoland area that, you know, all the local clubs jumped on board. And I had to come up with an, a way to um, get some of the callers to come to this event, you know, especially during the hunting season, because we used to do it the first week of December. And um, so I came up with a $5,000 contest. And um, I was very, very fortunate to find the sponsors to be able to underwrite this type of a deal. And so a lot of people came. I mean, you know, the first year, nobody knew who we were. They basically came because it was a big purse. And they got to hunt for free. They got all their accommodations covered. All they had to do was guide a couple days in the field. Well, that first year, I believe we raised over... I think like $38,000 after all the expenses were paid and so forth. So we decided to do it again. So our first year was in 2002, and we continued doing it up until 2017. And the reason we stopped is because um, Olivia became an adult, and she no longer is at Larry's Children's Hospital, who we used to work with. So over the years, we we managed to donate over $250,000 to Lurie's, and, and it was nice because it went into the new hospital that they just built down on Michigan Avenue. And, um, you know, we got some, you know, our, our point was to get in there and to get our name in there so that way when we showed up at the hospital, because Olivia usually has about four or five hospital stays a year. Um, sometimes she's in there when she's sick. Sometimes she's in there for just tune-ups which are basically uh, preventative um, medical 
type of procedures and therapies and so forth. So we continued to do this for 15 years and met a bunch of wonderful people, raised all kinds of money to help, you know, um, expedite the uh, finding of new meds and new treatments for um, cystic fibrosis. Um, not a lot of people are familiar with cystic fibrosis, and that's because it's an orphan's disease. It only affects about 35,000 Americans. Wow. One of the biggest, yeah, one of the biggest celebrities is um, Gunnar Esiason, Boomer Esiason's kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boomer has his own foundation, and his son is a big spokesperson for the disease because he has it himself. So, um, like I said, not a lot of people are aware that there's not much funding for it. Most of it's done by the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, um, you know, to try and uh, generate funds to discover new meds for these children. And they, and over the past 21 years of Olivia's life, they've managed to find meds that help uh, most of the children and young adults with cystic fibrosis. And I say that because the median life expectancy at, at, at birth when Olivia was born was around 21, 22 years old. And we've managed to push that back in her lifetime to 38 to 40 now. Wow. That's awesome. <clears throat> I know. We've, we've come a long way, and it's very exciting for parents, you know, who, who have a child who suffers from this because so much of the responsibility is shouldered on us, whether or not it's our fault or not, but, you know, as a mother and father, when you have a child with special needs, you try to do everything you can. So up until 2017, the first week of November, we used to bring all the renowned goose callers from all over the country. We've been on all types of um, TV shows like Drake Waterfowl and Flyway Highway. There's so many of them I can't even name all of them. You know, I don't watch. We've done a ton of- but I I don't watch Sorry. a lot of hunting shows. But I watched Flyway Highway. I believe is Drake's Flyway Highway. I don't know. Is, is, is that no, the- I think it was another program. Um, it, was, it was a couple of individuals that used to do the Flyway Highway. Okay, whatever Drake uh, show I is, one. I watched it, and they were doing that. The, the one I watched was the one on the episode about your about the foundation. Right. Well, that was our last year we did it. Drake called me up. Uh, I believe it was uh, Todd Copley called me and said, Hey, listen, uh, I hear this is your last year. Um, we're coming back from a, another program we did somewhere else nearby can we come by and cover yours and i said we'd love to help you know we're always looking to spread the message um we have uh, chauncey nigel who is the um outdoors person at espn radio he's been with us since, since day one so he used to do a live show at the hotel on saturday morning um while hunters were going out and coming back in we had guests for him I've been on a lot of the local TV networks here and so forth, Midwest Outdoors and some of the other local ones. So we try to get our message out as much as possible. And uh, we were very successful. And like I said, we met a ton of people. And uh, Tim Grounds was our uh, MC for every year of the event. And it was just kind of awkward that, you know, we did our last year in 2017 and then Tim passed in 2018. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the last three years I've been doing another smaller fundraiser kind of just to benefit Olivia's um, 
medical account because there's so many expenses involved with these children for stuff that's not covered by insurance. And everybody used to say to us, well, Mara, you're raising all this money. You know, how does it help Olivia? Well, you know, we hope it helps because we donate it to the hospital who in turn, you know, directs it in different areas. Right. So now pretty much I do this, uh, this new one's called, um, the Tim Brown's Memorial Blasting Cast. And I usually do it the first or second week of September. And the reason is one to memorialize, memorialize Tim's death and also to keep the core group of people together because at some point in the future, we're going to do this on for here again. And we're shooting for 2022 as a reunion hunt and a memorial to Tim. So, so how, so everything, so you get, you get all these callers, there's a calling contest and there's a hunt involved in this. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, we cram so much stuff into a weekend. It's, it's unbelievable that we even pull it off. That, that is crazy. So just to give you a breakdown or a timeline of what happens, um, most people start to pour in on Friday during the day because Friday night is our contest. And we've had, I believe, up to 23, 24, 25 contestants there. And we used to do the contest every year for the first seven or eight years, but it just got to be too crazy with, this, with you know, trying to cram everything in one weekend. But we used to pull it off. So Friday night, we'd have the contest, and, the pair, and, we'd, pair, and we'd do the pairings party that night also. Saturday morning, there was a breakfast served at 4 o'clock and a build-your-own-lunch. So you got up in the morning, you came, had breakfast at the hotel, and then you were able to go into a room where um, the volunteers, uh, Lisa and all her friends, my wife Lisa, um, would put together this fabulous, fabulous table with just all kinds of sandwiches, goodies, all anything you wanted to eat that was there. And you build your lunch, you go out, you hunt Saturday afternoon, and then Saturday night we used to uh, we used to have the dinner, which was at a, uh, a banquet facility with a silent auction and also a live auction the last year. Um, Tim spearheaded this wonderful cause. I mean, brought Ernie Ross, who's another famous call maker, on board, and and Ernie had this tree that he had planted with his father and his um in his yard and and. One year was hit by lightning, so Ernie wanted to memorialize his father and say, hey, listen, Tim, let's get a bunch of call makers together, and we will uh, we'll have everybody build a call out of this wood. So I don't remember how many different call makers were involved, but everybody put their own stamp on a piece of wood that Ernie sent them. And these were all auction- done live auction through... Um, call nuts on Facebook, which Steve Carter organized. And uh, so the calls were available not only to people who were at the banquet, but also people who were online watching the auction. And it was unbelievable the amount of money those brought in. I mean, some of those calls went up for over two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000. That's amazing. I think, a, I think a lot of people don't realize how close that a child at a children's hospital becomes, how, how close they become with the staff there. Because it's you, you probably get to know everybody by first name basis by the time you you get done with this going over the years. Unfortunately, yes. 
And unfortunately, yes. we had a sick child here in Knox City that went through the whole thing, and he was. And his parents would talk about it. he knew every member of the staff, every doctor by first name, everything because they deal with them over and over again. And the money y'all raised helps at that hospital, and that is so so great at giving back to other children that can whose parents can't help raise money for this church or for the hospitals. Oh, a- absolutely, one hundred percent. And and it was nice because the hospital would always let us know every time they did something with the money, how it was designated. So that way we were able to go back and, you know, tell our supporters, hey, you know, this is what they did with the funds this year, and this is what they did with the funds that year. I mean, it wasn't, you know, by no means a lot of money, but over the years, you know, we were able to, you know, purchase special equipment for the hospital. We were able to bring um, uh, other doctors on board, to supplement their salaries and get them away from a different hospital to bring them to Lurie's. And um, it was it was very satisfying. Yeah, that's $250,000 is a lot of money. And if y'all wouldn't have raised that, it would have had to come from some other fund to, to pay for what y'all were doing. It's a blessing. Well, absolutely. Um, Libby uh, is doing well right now. She's 21 years old. She just celebrated her 21st birthday on September 16th. Um, I, as her father, I just finished telling her mother that I've never seen her healthier in the past five months, but that's because of this whole COVID stuff. She was, she came home from school and stayed home from February until she just recently went back in September to start her first year of law school. Oh, that's wow. awesome. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another point I want to make is that her mother was with her. Every night she ever spent in the hospital. Wow! Every night. Yeah, it's uh it, it, the 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 there is no uh, there's nothing that a parent won't do for their child, and uh, I mean nothing at all, and that's beautiful. Well, uh, <clears throat> go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say we did other fundraising events. It's just that this was mine because it was my passion as far as waterfowling. But we did live fight for a cure, which was 13 Golden Gloves boxing matches. We held at the Libertyville Sports Complex. I think there was over a thousand people that attended that. We do lives race for a cure at Arlington Park, which is we rent the governor's room and sell tickets, and it's an all-inclusive deal. Lives boutique, lives harvest for a cure, um, lives casino night. So we were very, very active while she was growing up and now that she's a young adult and so forth, she, um, she goes to Northwestern hospital. So we're not really into the fundraising scene as much as we used to be, but I still managed to get away with, uh, doing the, uh, Tim Grounds Memorial Blasting Cast. And, and this year I think we raised over $7,000, um, just that, you know, a small group of 80 people for Libby's medical account. And it all takes place in my nursery, in my 60 by 100 foot barn, and people love it. I mean, <laughs> and I continue doing it. And, and, and the reason it's called a blasting cast is because here in Illinois, we have an early nuisance goose season, which starts September 1st and goes through the 15th. But it's also our annual run for the king salmon that come into the harbors. Unfortunately, the past three years hasn't been very fruitful as far as the salmon fishing because it seems like we always get blown off the lake by some 20 knot east wind <laughs> um but the um we we've had some successful early season goose hunts so 
it's pretty fun, and we have a band, and and uh, I have a couple of buddies of mine who are avid smokers. Um, they love smoking ribs and all kinds of stuff. So um, Saturday night, that's all part of it. They come and they set up their smokers and they cook ribs, and then we have a competition to see who cooked the best ribs. <laughs> and yeah, as much as you can eat. So <laughs> you put on a boxing match, also. Oh yeah. Yep. How was um, that? My, well, uh, it was all new to me. Uh, fortunately, I had uh, uh, one of my good friends, Matt Johnson, who was into the scene, and he was able to get five or six gyms together, and we were able to organize, I believe it was like nine bouts, nine or ten bouts. And, um, it, you know, it was on a Friday night, and it lasted like three and a half, four. I mean, it was a long, it was a long night. But people enjoyed it because they don't get to see that type of thing too often. Right. Well, the best things I ever went to is a tough man contest they raised for SIDS. Hey, it was awesome. I mean, people people yeah, I, I, people love to watch it, that it, stuff. It, right. Well, we don't get that type of that that up here that much because we don't have that many boxing chips. Well, this one here. This one wasn't boxers. Boxers, even yeah. There's really down here. There's not a boxing gym within 200 miles of us anymore. I don't think. No. Mm-hmm. No, well, no. I wasn't aware of them, but uh, Matt was able to find these gyms, and we were able to get them all involved. and And they 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 basically were kids who were boxing. You know, they're all amateurs, um, and we pulled it off that night. It was unbelievable. It was amazing, <laughs> and a lot of people got to see boxing right there. You know, live. We had to rent a ring. We had to get doctors. We had to get referees, card girls. So it was a lot of organizing, and I thank Matt for that because he handled pretty much all of it. Um, but, yeah, we had some unique events over the years, and, and um, that's all part of the story. When you go from planning that many events to now, you know, you're, you you have one, is it is it tough? Do you kind of look at everything and you think, well, what the hell do I do now? Well, the, the problem is that our two oldest children, Bianca and Nick, uh, living siblings, um, have gotten older. So, um, you know, they have their own lives now. And, you know, of course, my wife and I have both aged. And, and the volunteers that my wife is, you know, we everybody's gotten older. So it's a, it's, it's a lot more, it's a lot harder to do things like that when you don't have new blood in the system. Well, that's true as far as volunteers are, are concerned. But, you know, we did our part. We educated um, people, you know, as far as what cystic fibrosis is all about. Um, and there's a lot of other fundraisers going on now for CF that we have nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hope that we have some part in, in that, you know, those people going on saying, hey, you know, if they can do it, we can do it too. Right. And um, and it, it's just all a matter of, you know, who you know and how much you're willing to put into it. I got a question for you. Did you have anybody sure. that anybody that went on these hunts and they pay, they they bought these big hunts with these guys and the hunting wasn't good? Did you have anybody that bitched about that? Cuz as an outfitter, it don't matter what happens, you're going to have somebody complain about something during the season. You know what? A lot of people were very kind. They knew why they were there. Um, they might have said something to their friends, but it never got back to me. That's good. But, then. You know, the, the, the hunting that time of the year is a can't miss. So I think one year 
um, I think it was 2006, we got 32 inches of snow 36 hours before the event. Yeah, we, at that year, we killed over 276 geese as a group on, on Saturday morning. Yeah. I'm going to ask you some hunting stuff then because you're hunting a parent Chicago. Sure. I hear the guys from southern Illinois bitching and gripping all the time about all the water around the big cities keeps all the geese up there now. Do you, do you see well, more geese I, there than you used to? No. There's less geese here now than there was 20 years ago. Where are they at and then? And I'll tell you what's going on. Um, well, of course, uh, during the big... Uh, housing boom here prior to 2008. I mean, there were subdivisions going up all over the place, retention ponds with aerators uh, that would keep open water, you know, even on those coldest winters. But most of the, or I should say, the, the lack of goose hunting down in the goose hunting capital of the world, southern Illinois, doesn't exist as much because of the fact that I think our weather is cyclical. And then these geese, um, don't know how to get back down there. You know, after, you know, let's say, you know, a, a pair of geese that, you know, continuously migrated down to southern Illinois for 10 years, all of a sudden start short-stopping it because the weather is not as bad and they only go as far as the snow line. Um, you know, they never make it down to southern Illinois and then their parents aren't there to take them there anymore. You know, so they really don't know how to get back down there. And they don't need to because most of these geese, you know, they just follow the snow line. Mm -hmm. So wherever the snow stops, that's where they sit down. And um, what's happened here in Chicago is we've had such a build, you know, build up before the big, you know, 2008 crash and so forth, that a lot of geese, I believe, in my opinion, the new staging area is just north of us up in Kenosha and Racine, Wisconsin, because there's less pressure up there. Uh, there's more, you know, agricultural fields for them available, but we still get a good push through here. It's just a great corridor because it all gets, you know, the Missouri Valley flock all gets funneled through here before they continue south. So if we have a good, if, if, if we have good enough winter, then theoretically they could make it back to Southern Illinois sometime. Absolutely. We need snow. Right. But since 2006, We've never gotten 32 inches, you know, that fast in 36 hours. I mean, I remember that year, Thursday night, I went out with a friend of mine. We had a skid steer with a 60-inch blower on the front of it, you know, cutting pads to all the different blinds and all the different fields. I mean, I was walking in front of it with, with a, like, a big light so he wouldn't fall in a ditch or anything. <laughs> and we had to blaze all these pads for all these cornfields and stuff. I mean, I'll never forget that. You know, God bless you, Gordon Bachwinkle. <laughs> yeah, we spent the entire evening together putting in roads, and the hunting was unbelievable. Unbelievable. I can imagine. So, now is it all pits I mean, they that they hunt in? Here and they couldn't go anywhere. What's that? Is it all pits that y'all hunt in, or that y'all used to hunt in? It, it depends. We, uh, believe it or not, we hunt a lot of uh, tree lines and hedgerows here okay. because um, uh, landowners don't want you putting pits in. Mm -hmm. But we do have some. I mean, I was able to get, uh, you know, all the clubs involved, and most of the clubs have their own pits. You know, there's Porter's Hunt Club, and at the time there was Ultimate Water Fowlers, and um, they were two of my biggest sponsors, and, and, you know, they would donate all their locations for that. And then there was a lot of private locations that were that were donated. I think that we're going to... So... You said, you said weather cycle. I don't, I don't see... 
it's not looking like this year's going to be a cold winter. I know, I know it's early, but boy, the weather patterns just aren't looking good for that. So it doesn't matter how cold it is; it's the snow. It's the snow. Well, if, if they we can't don't have get snow, to the booth, they leave. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because you're we right. always have we have open water here. I mean, I'm probably I think seven or eight miles from Lake Michigan, so Lake Michigan stays open for the most part the, the entire weather. Winter, we've got the Fox River, we've got the Des Plaines River. Um, we've got the Illinois River, so there, there, there's places for them to find open water. There's Braidwood, which is a, uh, a nuclear power plant that stays open. I mean, there's steam that comes off that lake, you know, in the middle of January. When you were, you a don't kid, have a cheap you're not going to find it. You're blind or whatever. Did you grow up so in I, the same area? Yes, I did. did I grew up in uh, Wilmette, Illinois, which is right on Lake Michigan. When you were a kid, did Lake Michigan ever freeze up? Well, the edges would, and we'd go crawling around out there on the icebergs, but it, for the most part, it never completely freezes, no. See, I'm wondering, because, but when you were a kid, it was snow on the ground all the winter, wasn't it? Well, it, it, I think it was cyclical. There'd be some years where it'd be really bad, and some years where there wouldn't. That that one year that I'm talking about back, I think it was 2006, they actually shut down the roads in this county. So there was like no vehicles permitted on the roads because they couldn't they couldn't clean them up. I mean they didn't have enough equipment. I mean three feet of snow in you know thirty six hours pretty much paralyzed everything. But we were able to pull off the event that year. That's for sure. I'm just thinking back in the older days because the, the winters are different now. We don't have winter compared to like we used to. But I'm fifty three years old. But when I was a kid, it seemed like. There was winter all the time from Kansas to the Canadian to Can to the Arctic Circle was snow, and you just don't have yeah. years and you have mass snow. We cover. don't have as much snow, and they don't stay. On, I, you don't know, stay on trade, the ground. I trade. I'm a landscaper, so I clean snow in the wintertime, and I can't tell you. For the past ten years, we've had like probably half a dozen good snowstorms. Right. I mean, so, I know. Yeah, uh, there isn't as much snow as there used to be for sure. Yeah, and that's and that's the big that's the big driver for waterfowl. I mean, it, it, when you cover up that food, that's when you start moving a bunch of birds around. Absolutely. Well, in my opinion, I, I believe that's the case. Yeah, they're I always going to have open water. Oh, the cold is not going to stop them. No. I mean, I, I've shot geese in negative eight degrees, you know, and t- plenty of them. Yeah. You know, I've had people from southern Illinois up here, you know, who, when it's negative 10 out, and they can't believe the amount of geese that are up here and still coming out to the fields. But once the snow comes and the food gets covered up, they'll hang out for a day or two, and then you'll see the big Vs flying south. Right. How far they go? To the snow line, in my opinion. Oh, the, 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 a duck and a goose don't get cold. They're not leaving because it's cold. It's because they're hungry. I mean, that's... Well, the, the geese will leave before the ducks. That's for sure. Yeah, ducks are damn sure pretty hardy. But they, we were in the mountains last year, two years ago, in New Mexico, and it was... I don't know what the temperature was. It was negative that night probably mm-hmm. and those ducks had a hole in town that had an aerator or something on it and there was probably two or three hundred mallards there and they'll stay there all winter they because they had food around there yeah. to go to they weren't worried about the wa- the water is not an issue for them as long as they got somewhere to get a drink no not they're at all. fine but those when those, i used to live in Vernon hills there's this little creek called cd creek and it, and it probably hold a thousand ducks you know in january and february before they started to pair up and so forth and i used to feed them in my backyard and I lived like in a subdivision and I started off, you know, I put a mojo out in my yard cause I saw some ducks flying around and I, I finagled a couple down in there. And then the next day they came back with like three or four more. 
And by the end of the season, I had probably four or 500 ducks. They'd come twice a day, <laughs> and it'd be like 200 pounds of corn a day. Wow. I remember one time I spelled out my kids' names in corn in the snow, and they came, and it was so cool. I took a picture of it. It's all their names for it, just, you know, <laughs> formed in ducks. It was pretty cool. And we'd have cameras up. I mean, seen all kinds of hybrids. And then the geese started showing up. And I lived in a subdivision. My backyard wasn't that big. It was really <laughs> cool to see geese, you know, drop in there like ducks, like a Harrier jet. I bet your neighbors loved but it. Yeah. Oh, my neighbors did not love it. <laughs> shit all over their windshields and all over their houses and siding. Yeah, I used to get bitched about it all the time. <laughs> That's <here>. great. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding you. There's no way you can hide from them when they come. They'd be shitting everywhere. Oh, yeah, that's that's all that they do. They're, they're eating and shitting machines. They're, yeah, well, you should have seen them in the backyard. <laughs> there's, a, there's a neighborhood. They, in which- did, they did a study here, I think, on Third Lake once. I believe in the height of the migration... The geese up there were shitting anywhere between three to six pounds a day oh, per goose. Jesus. It's a lot of shit. I know. Yeah, it's a lot of goose shit. There, there, <laughs> there's a neighborhood in Wichita Falls, Texas right now that's got a couple hundred mallards in it that are wild. And they've just, I don't know what, the guy had an acorn, has got a couple acorn trees. And they started in the wintertime, and I guess they feed them now. And there's a neighborhood there that I, I'm assuming will have a couple thousand ducks almost in it every day in the middle of a subdivision there. And it's and they just walk down the street going from acorn tree to acorn tree now. And it's a mallard is a very uh, what's the word I'm looking adaptive bird. Mm-hmm. No, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. In fact, they don't even nest near water around here. Really. They nest in all kinds of weird places. I'm sure you turn on the TV and you see some cop fishing out you know, a bunch of ducklings out of a sewer because the mama, you know, was taking them to water and they fell through a sewer, a manhole, because yeah. not, they don't nest near the water. They nest away from the water and then they take their ducklings to the water. And you'll always see it in, in spring. Mama duck, you know, leading their babies across, you know, a freaking highway. Yeah, street. Or, you know, through a subdivision or through an office building. I saw one last year on the news. I mean, they had to open the door so the mama duck could, you know, get get them, you know, out of the courtyard because there's no way out of the courtyard. So they opened up the doors to the office building from the courtyard, and then they opened up the doors that went out to the street, and the mom led them right through the office building. <laughs> Knew, pretty cool. knew right where she was going. I saw a goose, a video of a goose that uh, nested on someone's roof in the eaves of their of their house, two story house. And there was a oh yeah, mama goose and it six or eight little too, ones. Like on, yep, it happens with uh, um, with the geese here on the Walmart roofs because at that time of the year they're turning on the air conditioners, so there's a little bit of puddling up there, so they actually do get some water. And then you'll see them jumping off the you know the top of the Walmart roof <laughs> onto the ground. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they're very adaptive species. Very adaptive. Yeah, they are. They they don't care. So the, the the first year that you hunted with Tim, do you think if those other guys would have showed up, do you think that you would have pitched them on your idea? Absolutely. That was why I was down there. That was the whole reason you were down there. Uh yeah. And that year, actually, I went back the next year. I didn't get to hunt with Tim. But the year I did hunt with them, I had some goose sausage made. It's called a uh, fire salami or something like that. And I, and I gave it to Tim. He didn't plan on calling in the contest that year at the Avery International. But uh, people talked him into it, and he ended up winning the contest that year, 
which is a total surprise to everybody because there's so many there's so much talent out there at the time. But of course, you know, Tim put his shit together that day and won the contest. I'm like, dude, you owe me. He's like, what do you mean, Ali? He's like, yeah, I gave you that goose salami in and opened up some old airways, and that's why you won. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Bob, whatever you say. (laughs) Wonderful man. Wonderful man. Yeah, he uh, loves my family, and I love his family, and 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 it just we just had a, a two year anniversary of his death a few weeks ago, and, and every year it's I don't know, it's just very hard to deal with. How, he he was a pioneer. How how did you get your love for waterfowl hunting? Was your dad a big waterfowl hunter? No, my dad is not a hunter at all. He thinks I'm out of my mind. <laughs> You crazy for the ducks. They control your life. He, he's straight off the boat Italian. You know, his dad, you know, he'll tell you there's 24 hours in a day. Eight hours there's work, eight hours to play, eight hours to sleep. Mm-hmm. You you play 16 hours, you sleep eight hours. No work. <laughs> no, I got my passion um, uh, when I came back, when I graduated from Drake University in Des Moines, I came back to Chicago to find a job. And that was in 1988. And my friend from Indiana, Kirk Kropp, said to me, hey, you want to go duck hunting? The opener's next weekend. I'm like, whatever. I never even shot a shotgun before. And I think I was like 25, 24 years old. I was like, sure, let's go try it. Well, that day we got a three-man limit, like in 12 minutes, and I was hooked ever since then. Mm. So then we go back the next day. This is a funny story because I... I, um, go back the next day and we get the same spot we're like oh we're gonna massacre him. well we shot a few ducks and so forth no big deal so um we're coming out of there and here comes the warden this chick on the front of the boat another one of them driving it and she's like well i'm boarding you and when we look at each other we're like there's three grown men in a 16 foot john boat decoys equipment everything else she's like i'm boarding you i'm like where are you going to board? <laughs> well, in the meat, that, that was like the year they switched over from lead to steel. Uh-huh. We had to use steel. Well, of course, you know, a couple of my buddies who were in the boat, you know, were pushing the law a little bit. And, you know, they, they had some lead shot at them. They, they basically saw them coming and basically started throwing them in the water. Well, a couple fell in the bottom of the boat. Uh-oh. Well, me not knowing what the law was, I grabbed the, you know, I'm like, ooh, three shotgun shells. They put them in my bag. <laughs> well, she starts going through our licenses and everything and then starts going through our bags. Next thing I know, you know, the magnet's picking up shells out of my bag and like, well, Mr. Thomas said, you have lead shot on you. I'm like, well, I did not know. No, I'm sure you didn't. <laughs> Give us your license. So my buddy, you know, and that's back when we just got out of college. We didn't have a lot of money. And my, my friend lived in Indiana, and that's where we were hunting. I was from Illinois. He's like, if you buy a license, just get a resident license and use my address at the shop. And I'm like, okay, you know, I know your address, 1020, you know, Kennedy Avenue in Sherville, Indiana, no problem. So I got my, you know, Indiana hunt license. She looks at my life, she's like, 220 Kennedy Avenue. She's like, that's all industrial over there. I mean, where exactly are you living over there? I said, well, I'm just living out of my friend's office right now because I haven't found an apartment yet, you know? thought that was like a good answer. Mm -hmm. She's like, hmm, and how long have you lived there? And I said, well, four months. She's like, well, in the state of Indiana, you need to reside here six months before you can declare residency. I'm like, shit. Shit. 
Yeah. She's like, Mr. Condesetti, we're going to have to write you up. And I was like, okay, second day hunting. Here we go. Got my gun confiscated. Got two tickets. Have to go to court. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Ended up going to court, getting my new gun back, uh, paying the fines. And that was the last um, ticket I've ever gotten for waterfowling. They, that was almost 30 years ago. They took your gun and everything? Yep. Wow. Well, it was like two or three violations. It was the lead shot. Then hunting with the resident license that I shouldn't have had. Then there was uh, uh, my friend, my friend Wayne. He was an older guy at the time. He was drinking beer in the boat, and he tried to hide him. Well, they found those, so they busted us for that too. And uh, yeah, fun times in freaking Griffith, Indiana. That's for sure. But you, I mean, you know, you're you're young and dumb, and you know, it's thirty years ago. I, so. I, you know what? To be honest with you, I I had no idea. The yeah. other guys did. I didn't. They didn't tell me, so I went down with the boat. No big deal. Yeah. You know? That, that was uh, basically a learning experience for me. That's what's, uh, you know, we see that a lot out here because we get guys out here that they, the only waterfowl that they go on might be when they come out here to hunt with us. And, you know, it, it, it's our job as guys that know the law and other people, um, you know, to share what you need. You know, because, I mean, if you're getting a guy off the street and you're telling him, hey, you're going waterfowl hunting with me this weekend, well, if he's just Joe Schmo from the office, he doesn't know what all you need. So, I mean, it's the other oh, guy's fault. Oh, God. I think if you want to go into guiding stories, I got thousands of them. I did that for 20 years. I'm retired now. But, my God, you're absolutely right. And you know what? You can't get tired of going over the same information either because yeah. it's a new group of guys every day. Yep. Okay. And, you know, you might not be in the best of moods because the group from yesterday, you know, did something. So, you know, you're still a little ornery, but you have to put that in your, you know, your coat pocket and say, hey, you know what, this is a new group of guys. Yeah. Especially when you're an outfitter, because, you know, um, I have a friend of mine, Craig Littlepage up in Manitoba. He uh, was an outfitter up there. He used to joke because... You know, every time you get a new group of guys, that first night, everybody wants to get shit-faced, go out drinking, you know, uh, have a great time, and then get up and go hunting in the morning. So we always laugh about how, you know, oh, it's day one again, day one again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and it's funny because you mentioned that, you know, you, we get guys that come through here, and, and they want to they wanna drink with me, and I'm like, you don't want to drink with me. Like, if there's anybody that needs to operate at 100% tomorrow, it's me. Like, yeah, but you also want to entertain your clients. You, you, no, absolutely. And there's a and there's a fine you know, line. Especially, but a drink, I, I don't, a I don't know two. where. Right, I don't know where your um, your lodge is and so forth. But in most cases, you know, you're in remote areas. Yes. You know where there isn't any type of a social life other than you know sitting at the bar at the lodge drinking and telling stories. Yep. See, we run a different and operation so, than that, though. We don't. Ours is a family type deal. We have guys that drink. We have a social area for the clients, but we, we, we run a bunch of hunters. I mean, we're running thirty to fifty people a day, and we don't we don't drink with our clients. Just a rule I have as an outfitter, I do not do it. Uh, we have clients that come back and visit, but I don't I don't like to mix match that for that's fraternization I don't like. And so I let the customers do all their drinking and do their stuff and the guides don't do it. My guides go to bed at eight o'clock at night, usually nine o'clock late, eight or nine, and get up at three thirty in the morning. But so, we'll have dinner with the guys. Yes, and we'll we eat and we'll visit and do all that stuff. But we let the clients do their own thing. Once once chow's over with, then we kind of 
part ways. We got to get trailers ready and everything else, but it is right. But still, like, you know, your clients like, hey, you know, aren't you going to have a beer with us, or aren't you, you know going to do this, or aren't you going to have a cocktail? And then what are you supposed to say? No, fucker, I got to go get the trailer ready that I know that's already ready, but I just don't want to drink with you. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know, because we, we've done this shit before. We know it's hard getting up in the morning. Well, I mean, yeah. what we, our routine is is we'll scout. Guys will be in dinner. We have a guide meeting. We come out. We talk to our guys. We have dinner with them. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, we basically bid them adieu for the evening. Yeah, well, it's a little different here in Chicago because we know where we're going. You know, we don't have to scout it. And if, we, if we're scouting it, it's just because we want to see, you know, where the birds are feeding in the field or whatever the case or how many birds are showing up there. So there's always time to fraternize and so forth. Plus, we have, you know, so many millions of restaurants around here and so forth. There are bars and everything else. And, and these guys, if you think about it, they're on vacation. Mm-hmm. You know, they might be done with their shoot at 830 in the morning. And it's like, okay, well, now what are we going to do? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Ours is different. Yeah. We're doing we do afternoon hunts. We do three meals at the lodge. We visit with them, but we don't. It's worked for us for 30 years. We do not do a lot of drinking with our well, clients. Remember in the beginning though, it wasn't such a fine tune operation. I mean, you're running around doing all kinds of other things that you don't do anymore now because you've been able to tune it in. It's two of them. Too I'm sure you first, <laughs> yeah, well, your first couple of years, you know. You, you basically, because you're building a reputation for yourself, you want to make sure that your clients are having a good time. Plus, you want to make sure that they're not getting in any kind of trouble, so you're basically babysitting. And we're there, small, there we're small town West Texas. There's there's not a lot to get in trouble at. The thing, the thing I that, know, my buddy, my buddy Beezer just came down there on a crane hunt last year, and he's trying to get me to come back down or to go with him this year. I'm just like, dude, you know, I, I, I appreciate it. I, you know, it sounds great, but, you know, once you're done at 8.30, I can't just hang out at a lodge all afternoon. I got to be doing something. And scouting, when we go scouting, you know, we're, we're in a, we're in a freaking, you know, SUV, four or five of us, drinking beer, having the time, listening to tunes, you know, talking about the hunt and so forth. Now that's, that's my kind of, you know, hunting trip. But a lot of people, you know, want to go and they want, the lodge, they want the three meals a day, they want everything organized, they want to make sure that, you know, their guys are going to show up in the morning, they want to make sure that they're brought to a good place, and they want to make sure that they're getting the most for the money. Yeah. So I can understand where you're coming from. Um, the, the, the thing that I struggle with is, <clears throat> I've got to explain the, the situation, I've got to explain it to everybody that has, you know, anywhere from an expert hunter to a guy that this is, he was putting his shotgun together in the parking lot. And I've got to be able to communicate with everybody all at once. And, and a lot of times, you know, you say the same thing over and over again. And I think, a lot, you know, you got to kind of read your groups a little exactly bit. What well, that's all part of your business. I mean, that, that's one of the responsibilities. You know, and, and you got to take that in kind, you know, that, hey, you're going to have a new group of guys. You're, you're going to have five new groups of guys in your case, or maybe more than that. And you're going to get some of the stupidest questions, like, you know, where do birds come from? <laughs> well, what the fuck do you think where they come from? You know, they come from fucking it. <laughs> you know, or what, 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 you know, how many birds are there? When, when are they going to show up? Or do I have the right shot size? Or... 
you know, what do you think about my outfit? You know, my can't are we wearing face paint? You know, it's, I, I've heard them all. I've heard them all. Yeah, I, I haven't my used that one. My favorite is. The, oh yeah, the egg one. I haven't used that's the an egg, old one. The egg one. That's an old one. I've not ever used. So it. I'm when have you're to feeling that. ornery and somebody asks you that question, yeah. you know how to answer it. Where do the birds come <laughs> Got from? Got that one from eggs. Eggs. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> there's, there's a few other ones too, but I can't think of them right now. I've been out of the loop for such a while. I'll have to, I'll have to remember that one. That's a good one. I like that. Yeah, I checked out your website. Sounds like you guys have fucking a phenomenal deal going on down there. I mean, you talk about choices. Well, it's it's paid the bills the last thirty years. Yeah, I had a friend of mine. He's like, "Hey, Moro, I, I hear you're doing this podcast with uh, with uh, Jeff, and he's like, see if you can scab a hunt off of him.' I'm like, are you fucking <laughs> kidding me, dude? I said I had been invited all over the country. You know, I'm not going to go scab and hunt. I said, if, you know, I can't find time to go anywhere. Yeah, well, that's my problem. Yeah, it, it it and the older you get, the faster time seems to go by. I mean, we're looking at hunting oh, season. Absolutely, we're going to turn around three or four times, and it's going to be hunting season's going to be over, and it's just shit. I mean, have you got to do yeah, any hunting I mean, this year? Uh, just during the nuisance season, How I, we did uh, the. I think it was the opener, September first. How was See, it? I have geese. I had about nine broods on my pond, mm-hmm. and. I get to watch them grow up all year. You know, I can tell you which bird, who's the mom, who's the dad, which babies are with what group, you know, because I see them every day at the nursery. Mm-hmm. And so when the nuisance season rolls around, I, you know, I kind of like, it's weird tra- killing these things that used to be my pets all summer. Right. So this year what I did is I had all my friends come, but I didn't have a shotgun in my hand. I was on Facebook Live. So there was a, my best friend Beezer wasn't there, and my buddy Craig Littlepage wasn't able to come into town. So I got on Facebook Live, and I basically just videotaped as these flocks were coming in because I really didn't want to shoot them, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I'm excited. Our season our season starts a week from Saturday, so um, you know it's going to be game on then. Yeah, everything's open then. Ducks, ducks and geese both. Yep. And it's amazing the amount of cranes we have around here now. You can't shoot those, can you? No we, no, we can't. No, we can't. You know, and somebody's like, dude, ribeye in the sky, ribeye in the sky. So my friend Scott Buckley, who was down there with my buddy Beaver shooting cranes in an outfit down in Texas, they brought a bunch of cra- uh, crane breasts to the uh, the barbecue we had, the, the blasting cast for Tim. Mm-hmm. And I tasted that shit, and it all tastes like bomb scum. I'm sorry. It is tasty. I've heard, it's not a ribeye. Okay, it might be a little bit more tastier than duck or goose, but whatever the case. To me, if it's not processed into some type of a stick or a salami or jerky, it tastes like bomb scum. You, and I've heard thousands of recipes from molasses to milk to beer to mustard to honey to brown sugar it's like all bullshit it's okay. <laughs> i'm with you on that i don't like ducks or geese i won't eat one there's not there's not a way you can cook it and I, everybody does me the same way oh you ain't had mine before yeah i, I mean still i watched a goose. i watched some idiot the other day I, I think i think it was some guy on chet building's freaking thing they were cutting the duck breast in half and shoving uh sour cream in the middle of it. i'm like jesus christ really and then they're oh, it's so good! Bullshit it tastes like pop <laughs> Yeah, I remember. But I, I have it all processed. You you just put it in sticks. Yeah, I just bring it to the butcher, 
and he cuts it with uh, either beef fat or pork fat, and it turns out awesome. You know, uh, uh, the sticks are, are goose breast with uh, jalapeno and cheddar cheese. See, I, I like it like them. that. I like it like that. We have yeah, a guy me here too. That or the it. summer sausage is the same way. Yeah. He does. I tried the brats and the Italian sausage a couple of years ago, and I just wasn't a fan. So we have ours done into summer sausage with same thing, jalapeno and uh, and cheddar cheese, and it's delicious. Yeah, I'll eat it that way. And you know what? We'd have like these holiday parties at my house, and my wife's like, "Don't put that shit out. People aren't going to eat it." My <laughs> ass! I'd cut that summer sausage out and I'd put it with the crackers and the cheese, and they'd be gobbling that crap up like it was going out of style. And then like, "Moral, what's in this?" <laughs> I'm like, "Sure, you want to know?" <laughs> as soon as I tell them, they don't touch it anymore. <laughs> it's delicious, though. I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't get. Yeah, that. that's that's the whole thing. As soon as they find out that it's some type of wild animal. They'll stop eating it. Now I'm talking about you know people who don't hunt and don't right. fish or aren't much outdoors people, but they love to eat. Yeah, you know, I used to put it out, and then as soon as they found out it was goose, it'd be like, oh, oh party's over. <laughs> The first the first crane that I did I I, I did it because somebody told me oh no you just see salt pepper and and garlic powder just like you do your steak and you throw it on the grill I did it that way and you're right it it I was like this is not a fucking ribeye like I was promised no not even close no I remember the first time my mom, my wife made a a, go- a Canadian goose she's like well I want to try a cooker so we didn't you know this is going back to like 1988 or 89 so she puts it in the oven. You know, and starts to slow cook it and so forth. Well, we didn't know that, you know, geese turn red when you put them in the oven. <laughs> and if they don't have any type of fat drippings on them or any bacon or anything to keep it nice and greasy so it doesn't all dry out, <laughs> pull that thing out of there. <laughs> it was like eating cardboard. <laughs> and I felt back, you know, she went through all these, you know, jumped all these hoops to cook this thing, and I had to pluck the son of a bitch, you know, <laughs> and that was a pain in the <laughs> But yeah, it was cardboard. It's like the uh, like like the turkey on Christmas vacation. You just cut into it, and it's just jerky. <laughs> now, I'm a fan of goose jerky. No, no, no. I 100%. mean the the uh, the yeah. The I know what you're talking cook. about. Yeah. yeah, that that was basically the same thing with us with our goose. Mm. It was a pretty big goose. <laughs> Shit. So uh, you guys get to kill all those little ones down there. The finicky freaking. Huh? Yep, yep. They can be a pain. We get we get a lot of specs down here too, so specs can be a pain in the ass later later in the year. But yeah, I'm ready for it. We don't get too many of those, but you know we get the occasional one will be mixed in with the Canada's. And same thing with the snow geese. We don't get too many coming through here. Somebody but, was saying you know, uh, further that that specs are starting to get. They're starting to see them a little bit further for further east. Yeah, I think Southern Illinois are killing them now. Yeah. I think. Oh uh, yeah, they're killing them. They're killing them down there for sure. That's crazy. I have a couple friends of mine try to get me down there to to, to shoot specs. That's yeah, crazy. It's, it's spec hunting and and duck hunting down there right now. Twenty, um, 20 they, years they, ago, they, you probably never even saw a spec there. I I used to see them down there, and so but now Illinois? it's like you know they target them. Yeah, they target them now. Huh. The thing here is. With the snow geese, I don't know about the way that when they're going down when on their their uh, uh, beginning of the migration when they're going south, but on the way north, they get to like Bloomington Normal, which is about two and a half three hours from Chicago, and they make an immediate left and go straight through Iowa because they don't come through Chicago. We never see them ever. 
not in large numbers. That's crazy. So it's like they get that far up the boot or up the up Illinois, and then they make an immediate left, like in Havana, and go straight into Iowa and go up through you know Nebraska and so forth. But huh. we never see them through here. Never get them through there. So uh, you a Bears nope. fan? Absolutely, one hundred percent. What uh, What do you think about them switching to Foles? Well, you know what? He's got the experience, but it's like they were talking about it during the broadcast. You know, he hasn't had much rep- reps with the with the team. Yeah. So of course he was rusty. Yeah. Well, let, let me... um, what do I think about Mitch? I think Mitch is probably a waste of draft pick. I think so. How do you take Mitch Trubisky over Mahomes and uh, Deshaun Watson? I don't know, Ooh. but I'm sure Adam's probably not going to have a job anymore after this year. And they spent all that money. I have no idea. They spent all but that. Believe money. it or not, I didn't know who Patrick Mahomes was before he busted on the NFL team. And <laughs> I consider myself an avid college football fan. Well, we're tech. I mean, he's he's yeah. from our part of the world, so yeah, we knew he's about from it. your part of the world. That's why you know him. Well, he but I had he no was damn good. You say Mahomes, I think of a pitcher. You know, that was his daddy, right? But he, he's a hell of an athlete. Well, hey, we appreciate you being on here with us. When when are you going to do the the next hunts in twenty twenty two? We're in the initial conversations. I'm trying to, to talk my wife into doing it again. <laughs> so um, I I put twenty twenty two out there. Um, the problem is that it gets harder and harder to find spots around here. I mean, I remember God, we'd have. 200 people go out hunting, you know, during, during our event in the peak of the event, you know, it'd be like, you know, 40, 50 groups of hunters and then having to secure locations for that. And then you get into all the politics, you know, okay. So-and-so can't hide or can't hunt over these decoys because he's associated with these decoys and -and so-and-so hates him. So don't put him in a pit with them or they're going to get in a fight or, you know, this this guy is associated with so and so call maker, and he hates the other call maker. We can't mingle those types of people. I mean, it was like a, a puzzle with no picture, you know, no colors on the out, <laughs> on the outside to match up. So I didn't, it was a nightmare. I didn't think about that. Like you get all these big name guys, and and there's beef, and then there are certain products that they can't use. What a fucking oh, nightmare! It's unbelievable. Well, you know, when Drake was here last time. Um, they wanted, you know, they wanted to interview me while everybody was out hunting. Mm-hmm. Well, I was all dressed in Sika gear. They're like, listen, dude, you know, you, you can't wear that on the interview. I'm like, well, give me what you want me to wear. And they did, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just a bunch of stuff like that. Um, but my biggest piece of advice I give people when they come to the hunt is that, listen, we know what we're doing. If we put you in a hedgerow, it's for a reason. Because we used to get all no, these geese aren't going to come to the hedge. Well, you know what they do here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just a matter of you know, we just go and 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 I've learned to do that. Anytime I go on a hunt, wherever it might be, in whatever state or with whoever or whatever outfitter, it's like shut the fuck up and listen to them because they know what they're doing. Right. All right. What works, what doesn't work at home, might work there. Yeah. That's so, exactly right. That and you know that's a good yeah, piece of the only advice. Thing is anyway. That with outfitters, when you're paying $300 a day to hunt, don't ask me to put the fucking decoys out. Don't ask me to pick up shells. And don't ask me to pick up wads. 
all right? I'm paying $300 a day. You fucking pick them up. <laughs> executive hunt for, executive hunt for tomorrow. Exactly. Oh, yeah, because they tried to get me to go on the snow goose hunt down in Arkansas, but they got to they gotta put up the decoys, then they got to pick them up, then the guides shoot their birds, then you got to pick up your shells, then you got to pick up the wild. It's like, okay, I'm paying $300 to come and, you know, basically work. Forget that. <laughs> I'm on a guided hunt, man. I won't do shit. I'll sit there and watch. There's a, even though I know <laughs> a lot of moving but, parts you know, to those snow goose hunts. Oh, I know. But I remember when I was guiding, I'd have my stuff all set up before I even went and got my customers because it's always a clusterfuck in the morning. Oh, we want to help you. No, thank you. I'll take <laughs> care of it myself. I get my whole spread out in 27 minutes. You know, 10, 12 dozen, you know, full body decoys set up the pits, pump the pit if I had to. I'd get it all done. That way, when they showed up, they were on a hunt. You know what I'm saying? Not there to work. And everything's everything's taken care of to your liking. Well, we really appreciate right, exactly. we we really appreciate you coming on here. Um, if you get this off if you get this off the ground for 2022, let us know and we'll uh, we'll do anything we can to promote it. Well, stay in touch with me. Maybe you guys can come up here and get a taste of what it's like to do some urban hunting. Perfect, perfect. That'd be great. I'd be more than happy to host you guys. Uh, we appreciate we, that very much. We wish you nothing but the best I'm, moving take, forward. Take advantage of it. All right, you Thank a, you, Jeff. You have, it's a pleasure to talk. You guys have a great day. Uh, you Thanks too, for sir. having me on. Thank you very much. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Northern Illinois, honey, not Southern Illinois. That's right. Live for the cure. Yep, that's a good way to do things. Sick raised kid. a lot of money for a lot of uh, needy, needy families. I went to school with a kid that had cystic fibrosis, and that's it, it's they've changed the. I mean, uh, the survival rate is up into the forties, and that's awesome. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Special parents that have to go through stuff like that's a horrible deal. Mm-hmm. Prayers out to them. All right, we thank everybody for listening. We're on YouTube now. Yeah, go look, go check us out. Um, Big Hunker, the Big Hunker podcast is uh, our YouTube channel. We got two videos up there. Uh, we will start moving our guests to Skype, and um, here in the near future. So, most everything should start being on YouTube. But the next one that we'll do on YouTube will be the Pick'em. The Pick'em with Logan Pyatt. With Logan Pyatt tomorrow. We'll uh, we'll Facetime him or something. Okay. What is the? Uh, we're going to do a giveaway. We're going to give away for the anybody that subscribed. If you've subscribed already, you're going to be in this. Yeah, and I'm going to pu- I'm going to put this in the podcast closed group. So uh, just be looking, but we're going to give away some hoodies to uh, uh, people that have subscribed to our YouTube channel. And if you're not in the closed group, it's real simple. You go to the site. It's on Facebook. The Big Honker Podcast group is what it's called, right? Yep. The Big Honker Podcast group. You've got a couple of questions. Do you listen to the podcast? Yes. I don't know why you would write no. You don't even. All you got to do is fill out the two questions. Yeah, and that's it, and you're in. There's no there's no checks and balances. I mean, just answer the two questions, and you get into the podcast packet group. And once you're in that private group, we're going to give it away. We're going to be somebody on there is going to know about it, I'm sure. But if you subscribe, you're in for the you're in the entry, and Andy's going to put the rules in the close the close group what it takes to do it. And we're going to give away a couple. Of, we're going to give two hoodies away. We'll so, give three hoodies away. We're going to give three. It's hoodies. Wednesday. Andy is so charitable today. It's, it's Wednesday, so we'll give one away. We'll, we'll pick three people on Friday. Three people on Friday out of the people that have subscribed. So if you are subscribed, you're in, and the next people that subscribe will be in. All right. That's all I got. And uh, thank you. God bless you, and have a wonderful day. As always, thank you to our great, great sponsors. Oh, 
Stanfield Hunting Outfitters, Pacific Calls. Use the promo code BHP25, save 25%. Uh, J2 Outdoors, they've got a promo code also, Big Honker, will save you 10%. Dirty Duck Coffee, Trump 2020 will save you some money. And Gundog Outdoors, Big Honker save you money. Thank you to Dive Bomb Industries, Boss Shot Shells, Lucky Duck, Looking Glass Duck Club, William and Chris Wines, and 14 Cattle Company. Couldn't do without you.